0: Father, we just ask you to fill our hearts with a sense of of your goodness and your grace and your nearness to us. We commit our time to you this morning. Uh, We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. just want to read a few verses this morning. Uh, you know, our hearts are, are kind of heavy this morning as we think of, of art and uh, the Westfall family. And in times of loss, you know, we just, we turn to God's word and, and we just ask him to give us that, that peace and comfort. And um, I was thinking about these verses this morning from Second Corinthians chapter 1. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. God's word is realistic about what this life looks like, that though there is joy, um, there's also much suffering. And um, you know, sometimes that's the tension of, of this uh, season that we have. In Christmas, there are people that are going through deep hurts, deep trials, um, others that are experiencing joys, and we're just thankful that we can, can lift all those up to God. So uh, we praise Him. We, we ask Him to provide us uh, with the comfort that only He can give. Father, we just thank You for the opportunity to lift our hearts to You. And Lord, there are many hurting and just feeling the loss of, uh, of our brother Art this morning. And, and we ask you to, to give us the comfort that only you can give. Uh, we ask you to remind us again of your great love and mercy. Uh, Lord, nowhere else is it displayed uh, as beautifully as the fact that you sent your perfect son in, into this world filled with death and sin and darkness to redeem us and to make us part of your family. Father, we just thank you for that. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: I want to extend a special welcome to you if you're here as a guest. This is your first time here at Creekside Church. We're just glad that you're here worshiping with us this morning. We, uh, wanna, I want to wish you a, a Merry Christmas a little bit early. Hopefully I'll see many of you on Tuesday night as we gather for our Christmas Eve Service but if you 're here and you are one of those first time guests we 're just glad that you 're here and on the bulletin, there is a, a flap on that bulletin that if you would mind there might be a pencil underneath the seat in front of you or if you have a pen if you just fill that out and tear it off and put it in the offering, uh, that would be great. Uh, that comes by later that 's all we 'd ask you to put in the offering and There's no pressure even that way. If you're part of our regular church family, that uh, little bulletin flap is for you too, in case you have a prayer request or something that you'd like us to know, or you have an interest or want to know how you can get involved, that's for you too. So we're just glad that you're here this morning. I'd invite you to to pray with me as we continue to worship and look into the Word of God to do so. Father, uh, we come as only a holy God uh, could bring us here this morning. Uh, To worship you and I pray uh, that in my own heart and all of our hearts with the busyness of this season, with the chaos and the confusion of the the world in which we live and with all of the demands on our lives, with the, the disappointments and struggles, with the joys and all that's happening around us, Lord, help us to just pause and focus on why we're here and teach us from your word. Open up our eyes that we might behold, as the psalmist prayed, wonderful truths from your law. Not just so that we can be educated, Lord, not just so that we can be informed, but so that we can be changed. So that we can be transformed by the power of your spirit, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. A few years ago, our our family gathered at the threshing reunion grounds in Albert City. Okay, I want to show you this little picture of the uh, steam engines. It's a a three-day celebration of how farming used to be. Okay, it was an annual event in Albert City and they hosted it and thousands of people from all over the country and some from different countries of the world would actually come to this thing. And we were Gathered, uh, My family had come and gathered because we were going to, uh, on Saturday afternoon, we were going to get together and grill some steaks and celebrate my birthday. Well, my wife had different plans. Uh, she had bigger, grander plans. And so she had organized this community celebration that I was oblivious to and so on that Saturday afternoon, after the daily parade at this site, people gathered around, and she threw this big party for me to celebrate my 50th birthday. And it was an embarrassing but actually enjoyable time with uh, people, friends, and family, and everybody, and it was an exciting thing. And I thought, you know, birthdays are, are fun. They're supposed to be celebratory things. Now, some of you are going, yeah, that's your 50th birthday. You know, everybody's wearing black, and it's not a good thing. Well... <laughs> No, you know, I made it to 50 by God's grace, and so that's a good thing. Well, the facts for my 50th were a cause for celebration, but the facts for the birthday of Jesus are even more cause for the greatest celebration. Not just a celebration, but the greatest celebration. And we saw last week as we again launched into our study of the book of Matthew that the the genealogy of Jesus gives us good cause for celebration because it reveals to us his identity. And then it also reveals and, and began to hint at his ministry that he would have. And as we continue on in this study and we look at the birth narrative of Jesus as it's recorded in the Gospel of Matthew... We're going to see that the facts surrounding his birth further validate his identity. So, yeah, we're going to be kind of reiterating some things that we talked about or kind of re- going back to it. But I don't know about you. How many of you you, know, you knew your Social Security number the first time you ever got it? You know? I mean, I've got, you know, I know some of you still don't know your Social Security number, you know, because you're, you're just like, uh, Some of you don't know your bank number, you know? And that's fine, I'm not criticizing you, but we need these repetitions because repetition drives it home and enables us to understand things a little better. And sometimes we get impatient if we read the Bible and we say, well, those people, those Israelites, you know, they were so stubborn and so rebellious and they kept falling away and they kept falling away and they're just like us. And so we need to be reminded of these things. And so the, the, the facts not only further validate Jesus' identity as the king, but they... Explain more fully and clearly his ministry. And these are cause for celebration, if we really truly understand it, unparalleled celebration. So I am opened my Bible to Matthew chapter 1. I want you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1 or your device or whatever it is you have. There's a Bible under the seat in front of you or if you want to get your phone out and turn to your, if you have a Bible app or whatever it is, Matthew chapter 1, beginning with verse 18. I'm going to read the text and we're going to look at these three facts. Significant facts about the birth of Jesus, this narrative, that authenticate his identity and more clearly articulate his ministry that I hope and I desire will prompt praise and celebration in his people. Matthew chapter 1, beginning with verse 18, now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. For that which has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for it is he who will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place, that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And Joseph arose from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took her as his wife and kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. The first fact in the text that comes out to me and kind of, again, uh, uh, brought on from the genealogy as well, is that we see his humanity. But not just his humanity, but his royal humanity. Jesus is the king. He's not just a human king. And the support for this claim comes from two sources. First of all, Jesus was the human son of Mary. Human through Mary. Look at the text in verse 18. It says, now the birth of Jesus. Okay. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. So there's this the birth of Jesus, his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, and then we see in verse twenty, but when uh, that verse twenty nineteen, I'm sorry, and Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, desired to put her away secretly, but then in verse twenty, but when she had he had considered this. Behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of Mary, do not be afraid to take Mary, your wife, for that which has been conceived in his, her is of the Holy Spirit. In verse 21, she will bear a son. She will bear a son. Verse 25, and he kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son. Notice the text, verse 18, verse 21, verse 25. It's Mary who's going to give birth to a son. Now, why do I make a point about that? Because it is an emphasis on Mary as the biological mother of Jesus. Which is distinct and deviates from the emphasis all up to this point. Go back to chapter 1, verse 1. The book of the genealogies of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham... Then verse 2, to Abraham was born Isaac. And if you kept reading through the text, you would see, to Abraham was born Isaac, and to Isaac Jacob, and to Jacob, and to this, and to to him was born. And they kept saying, to the man was born another man. Well, (laughs) we all know biology well enough to know that that's really not how it works. But the emphasis is on the paternal line until you get to here. And then it's on Mary as the biological connection to Jesus. So Jesus was the physical son of Mary, but he was not the physical son of Joseph. That's the emphasis. Then we see that Jesus was royal in his lineage, his heritage, and his lineage. And I use those terms uh, intentionally, okay? Not, not meaning the same thing, but a somewhat simpler, sim- different thing. Because if you looked at verse 21, it says of Joseph, Joseph, son of David. Well, Mary is going to give birth to Jesus, and Joseph, son of David, which connects Jesus through Joseph to David because he has to inherit the throne as a son of, of someone who's a descendant to the throne. And so he's emphasizing the connection to David through Joseph. And then we read in verse 25 that it was who named Jesus. Joseph named Jesus. And by the fact that he gave the name to Jesus indicates that he was his paternal father. Father. He gained his legal claim because you name that which is your own, and so he named him. He gained he he so he inherited the throne through his father David. Um, some of you are more familiar with the Luke passage, Luke chapter two. Why did Joseph take Mary to Bethlehem? Because of the census, because he was of the house and the family of David, and so that's how Jesus. Gained his legal claim to the throne. But through Mary, Jesus gained his physical line to the throne. Now, I said this last week, I know that, so this is coming repeat. And you just write this down Luke chapter 3, verse 31. That's how Mary was a descendant of David through Nathan. And Joseph was a descendant of David through, or Jesus was a descendant of David through Joseph by lineage, not by. Biological heritage. Okay, so there we go. So Matthew intentionally and repeatedly keeps calling Jesus the Christ. Using his name and his title together. So that the two are wed. He is a human king. He is the long prophesied Messiah. The title. Look at chapter 1 verse 1. In the book of the genealogies of Jesus Christ. Then you look at verse 16. It says when jacob was into jacob was born joseph the husband of mary by whom was born jesus who is called the christ and then in verse 17 therefore all the generations from abraham to david are 14 generations and from david to the deportation to babylon 14 generations from the deportation of babylon to the time of christ and then you look at verse 18 again it's christ jesus christ jesus christ why because he wants to communicate that the man Jesus is the promised Messiah. Now, uh, those of us who live in the Des Moines area, I'm going to ask you a question. What is, when I say, um, what is Des Moines, Des Moines' news traffic and severe weather station? And WHO, OK? It's Des Moines' news traffic and severe weather station. Now, you can live from other parts of the Iowa and and know that too. Why do you know that? Because if you ever listen to WHO, you hear it about five times before you you go through five minutes of the station broadcast. The repetition rivets it to our minds. There's a reason why Matthew refers to Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ. Because he wants us to know, without a shadow of a doubt, at least Matthew's claim is that he is the son, the Messiah, the king. He's a royal, and he is a human being. And we celebrate the birth of Jesus as a royal human in fulfillment of all of God's prophecies that he would be the king, but that he would be a a son of David. You can't have someone who is the king who's not a, a human king, and you can't have someone who is the substitute to save us from our sins who's not one of us. Several years ago, one of our children had, this was their favorite movie. Uh, some of you have seen Air Bud or you've heard of the movie Air Bud. It's a little dated, I know. But this was this child of ours' favorite movie. Watched it ad infinitum, ad nauseum. And it was uh, just like, uh, oh, I want to watch that one. A dog substituted for a human on the basketball court? I don't think so. I mean, this, this is like, this is not working for me. Only a human could substitute for humans on the cross of Christ, on the cross of Calvary, to be the sacrifice for our sins, to suffer in our place for our sins as the promised and satisfactory substitute The Christ, Jesus, had to be one of us. Peter says that he himself bore our sins in his own body on the cross, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, we are healed. He had to be the substitute for us. Isaiah the prophet said that he himself bore our our iniquities. How can he do that if He has to die for his own iniquities. No, he can't, but he has to be a substitute for us. So we saw his royal humanity. Then we go on in the text, and we see his certain deity. And the birth record records three arguments for Jesus' divinity, or that he's God. So he's fully man, but he's fully God. You say, well, why do you keep talking about that? Well, I think it's because the text talks about it. That's what I hope. And pray. But why is it important? Because every major deviation, every major heresy in the world gets it wrong about Jesus. Every major heresy. If you find a teaching that's contrary to the deity, the full deity, and the full humanity of Jesus, it's not the Jesus of the Bible. And that's why the scripture makes it very clear. So, the birth, first of all, the conception by the Holy Spirit argues for the deity of Jesus. Notice verse 18, before they came together, okay, they, they, the, before they came together, she was found to be with child, okay? So what we have here is what I talked to you about last week in verse 16, kind of hinted at or intimated that through, because of this emphasis on Mary, that Jesus was fully God. What was intimated there is now validated in, in the birth record when his mother had been betrothed to Joseph at the age of 12 or 13 or 14. She was legally married. But they had not ever come together and had an official wedding ceremony and been united in marriage. But she was legally married. She was betrothed, the legally binding promise that they would be married. Before they came together, she was found to be with child. Uh Uh-oh, that's the controversy, okay? That's the controversy surrounding The birth of Jesus. And she was found to be with the Holy, uh, conceived by the Holy Spirit. The problem was that according to the law in Deuteronomy 22, an engaged woman, betrothed woman, who had been unfaithful could be stoned. Deuteronomy 22, uh, verses 23 through 27. She could be stoned to death. Well, that's not good news. But Matthew confirms in One eighteen, what the angel had told Mary, and we have recorded in Luke chapter 1. I want you to look at Luke chapter 1. Look on the screen. Uh, Luke chapter 1, verses 31, and then verses 34 and 35 says, And behold, this is the angel talking to Mary. You will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And so Mary's going, well, how can that be since, you know, I've I've never been with a man? Uh, I'm a virgin. And the Holy Spirit, he said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the holy offspring will be called the son of God. There's no impropriety on the part of Mary. There's no hanky-panky. There's no nothing that's, you know, shouldn't have happened. But notice the text. Holy. Why will the holy offspring be called holy? Because he's conceived of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Offspring will be called the Son of Joseph. No, the Son of God. The Son of God. Now, why is that important? You can write this down, John five eighteen. Jesus Christ was crucified because he was called the Son of God. Because in John chapter 5, verse 18, the Pharisees say, he calls himself the Son of God, making himself equal to, with God. He's God. He claimed to be God. The conception shows that he was God. Um, this past week, uh, I, Marla was looking on, my wife was looking on Facebook, and she showed me something on Facebook. Well, there were some pictures from a, a baby shower. The pictures of a baby shower for uh, an unwed mother, okay, or an unwed expectant mother, I should say. Okay, so the mom's expecting and so in our, in our promiscuous culture, you know, it's like, well, there's no question about how she got pregnant. The question is, who's the dad? Go back several thousand, to Bethlehem, and a baby, and a mother, and Mary. And Mary's wondering how this happened, you know. That's not a question today. We don't wonder about it. But that, Mary's wondering, how did this happen? Joseph's wondering, who's the dad? And the scripture answers both questions. Mary, this is your son conceived by the Holy Spirit. Joseph, don't worry. You know, then, then it comes to the convincing work of the Spirit. It's not just the conception, but the convincing work of the Spirit. And there are several things that the Spirit of God does in verses 19 through 23 that encourage Joseph and encourage me, and I hope they encourage you. First of all, the convincing work. First of all, there is this caution, verse 20. But when he had considered this, you see, Joseph was a righteous man, um, and he presumed that Mary had been unfaithful. And Joseph's righteousness revealed uh, by the desire to put away privately. He didn't want to disgrace her. He didn't want to divorce her he, uh, you know, publicly. And he didn't want to stone her. Just put her away privately. Just make a private quiet, So, And when he considered this, it says in verse 20, the angel came to him and says, whoa, 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 whoa. Stop. You don't have to do that. Don't have to do that. The angel derailed the plan. And there's a compelling reason why, because... That which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. For, that's the reason, you read it in verse 20. For that which has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, it's going to be okay. By a miraculous work of the Spirit of God, Joseph is to be the husband of Mary, but not the biological father of Jesus. There it is. It's okay. And then we get the complete picture in says, verse 21, And she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for it is he who will save his people from their sins. The name Jesus means God saves. Okay, so that's in his name. And the mission he's been given is to save people, to save his people from their sins. Forgiveness. Okay, where does forgiveness come from? He's supposed to save them from their sins. Who can save us from our sins? Write this one down if you want, Psalm 130, verse 8. But then I want you to look at Mark, chapter 2, verse 7. And many of you are familiar with this story. Jesus is doing some teaching, and some boys bring a paralytic on a mat, and they open up the the ceiling and drop the paralytic down. And guess what Jesus does? He says, your sins are forgiven. And the response of the Pharisees is, who can forgive sins but God? So at least we know from the text that the text here says that Jesus will save them from their sins and only God can forgive sins. So at least there's a claim that Jesus is God because he's the only one that can forgive us from our sins. When I was in seventh grade, I... I had to have knee surgery and so I missed some school and we had a paper due in my social studies class and Mr. Spurbeck was our social studies teacher and he was kind of a stickler for protocol and stickler for lessons and he was a hard-nosed teacher. He didn't want to cross Mr. Spurbeck, he was also our football coach and he was a a no-nonsense kind of guy. Now, some of you have been teachers, everybody here's been in school. If you are late on an assignment or you fail the assignment or you have incomplete in the assignment, whose mercy are you at? The teacher you're at the complete mercy of the teacher. I didn't get the assignment done didn't even actually know that it was to be done, and I came to school and i said mr I i i i I think i there was something I didn't get done. he says. Don't worry about it. What? Don't worry about it. It's forgotten. It's forgiven. Only the teacher can do that. Only the God of the universe can forgive my sins, can forgive your sins. And by forgiveness means that he he removes them as far as the east is from the west so that we are no longer deserving of the wrath of God and the punishment that is due us because of our sins. Only God can do that. And here we see that this is what is claimed of Jesus. This babe in a manger is the one who is to forgive us our sins. Galatians chapter 3 verse 13 says, Christ redeems us from the curse of the law. Having become a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. You went over to Galatians chapter 4. You would see, for in the fullness of time, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, that he might redeem those of us who are under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Only God can forgive sins, and Jesus is claimed to be God. And Jesus alone will bring this redemption. In him, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7, in him. In Christ, we have redemption. We have the the purchase price paid to deliver us from the payment of sin through his blood, Jesus Christ. Then there's the confirmation that Jesus is God with us. This is the prophecy in verses 22 and 23. Now all of this took place. All of what? Think about this. All of this took place. Well... You know, the Holy Spirit comes to Mary and says, Mary, you're going to, or the angel says, you're going to have a kid and uh, it's going to be conceived by the Holy Spirit and, and Joseph gets engaged to Mary and then Mary becomes pregnant and then we, whoa. Then the angel appears to Joseph and all of this took place. Why? Why did all this take place? That what was promised by the Holy Spirit And interesting, we could get into the whole issue of inspiration if we wanted to here. Now, all of this took place that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, because what we have in the word is what God spoke through the people, that's inspiration, might be fulfilled. That it might be fulfilled in this person uh, of Jesus. The events surrounding the miraculous conception were fulfillment of the promise. What's the promise? Behold, a virgin will be. Give birth to a child. Well, that's Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Which, actually, there was an immediate fulfillment in the days of Ahaz, in which time it was written. But what Matthew is telling us, by the inspiration of the Spirit, is that Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of this prophecy. So that there would be deliverance that came, because a woman would give birth a virgin... Give birth to a son who would rescue his people from their sins. And he would be Emmanuel. God with us. Because back in Ahaz's day, when God delivered them by the the person, the sign of the son that was given. And they received deliverance from their enemies. They knew that God was with them. And now, by the birth of this son, Jesus. He isn't just in some esoteric, generic way, but God is actually literally with us in the person of Son. Every detail of Jesus' birth had been meticulously rearranged on purpose. And I could go to prophecy after prophecy. This morning I was reading Zechariah chapter 9 about the the son riding in, the king riding in on the foal of a donkey who will bring salvation. You go to Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6. His name shall be Wonderful Counselor of the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, and on the throne of his father David, he will reign forever. And on and on and on and on and on. We could go meticulously brought out. You ever been had to do some conniving and things where where it was meticulously worked out, or maybe it wasn't conniving, maybe it was just an organization of a birthday party for your husband on their 50th birthday, and you had to get all these things organized. Well, there was a there was a, a couple of guys that like to prank each other, and they had organized this this prank. I want you to see this. Uh, you, you have that, Adam.
0: One blindfolded shot for five hundred thousand dollars. That's is straight in front of you. Not
1: four, five steps away. It's your
0: shot. Four, three, two, one, go.
1: Okay, it's a total prank. You saw he missed the basket. And the guy that gave him the check had already arranged. He'd arranged all these details for the guy to get to the game, for the guy to sit there, for his name to be called, so they would draw his name, so him to come down. And the people, he'd talk to the crowd ahead of time so that they would cheer wildly when he missed the basket so he'd think that he won the $500,000. It was elaborately, every detail was organized. Folks, when you look at the birth of Jesus Christ, Every single detail from the prophecies in the Old Testament. Many, 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 many prophecies. All of the details about the, the, the virgin birth and the organization so that Jesus would be fully human. He would be fully God, that he would have a lineage, that would a heritage that would link him to David through Joseph. He would have a lineage that would link him biologically through David, through his mother Mary. All of these things are not accidental extravagantly worked out in the mighty hand of God so that we would have born to us on that day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. That He would be fully God in the sense that He is distinct in His person but absolutely equal in His essence with the Father. And to save us from our sins. God sized problem needs a God sized solution. God incarnate in the person of Jesus. And then there is the last thing that confirms his deity, which is the conduct of Joseph. Now, it doesn't, it's not, you know, I'm, I'm making this argument. I'm not stupid. So it's not like saying, well, if you read this, you know for sure, but it adds to the argument, and that is the conduct of Joseph. The conduct of Joseph is stellar. He kept Mary a virgin prior to the birth of Jesus. Uh, before the conception of Jesus, up and through until after the birth of Jesus. At least that's what the text says. Okay? So that there would be no uh, misconception. Joseph's self-control supports the claim. It doesn't prove it, but supports the claim that Jesus was fully God. When I was in civics class, we, we talked about two main requirements to be president of the United States. The first requirement is you have to be a natural-born citizen. The second major requirement is you have to be at least 35 years of age. There's two requirements that had to be simultaneously met for Jesus to be the king of Israel, the savior of the world. He had to be royally human. He had to have lineage and heritage from Abraham through David to be the king. He had to be absolute deity. He had to be the Messiah, the Savior, in order to forgive us from our sins. He had to be human to be our substitute. He had to be God to be sinless. If you take either one of those away, you discredit the whole of Christianity. Which leads us to the last fact around his birth narrative that confirms to us not only his identity, but also his ministry, which is focusing on his ministry, Are his, a clear picture of our Savior's ministry. The God-man Jesus came, in verse 21, to save his people from their sins, to save everyone who would believe, beginning with the Jewish nation and expanded to all nations, from our sins. From their sins, Jesus is the King who came to save us from the consequences of the curse the consequences of the curse and to bring us into his kingdom. <clears throat> so what do you do with that? It's Christmas. What do you do with it? No, there's this is guy, Jesus. Yeah, they say he was born in a manger in a ba- as a babe in Bethlehem. You say he's God, you say he's man, you say he's fully God, he's fully man. So what do you do with it? You can either accept it as fact and true, and accept this Jesus as your Savior, our Savior and King, as our Savior and as our sovereign ruler and leader. You know, that's the interesting thing about kings. They ask for full submission. It's not like, well, I can be kind of a subject to the king. You either are a subject to the king or you're not a subject of the king. You're either in the kingdom or you're not in the kingdom. So now what I'm asking you is, have you accepted the king? Is Jesus your savior? He is the savior of the world. Savior of his people, those who believe. Is he your savior? Have you accepted? Do you understand? Have you acknowledged that we, you, me, all of us, and the world of which is messed up? And there's dishonesty, there's corruption, there's pride, there's selfishness, there's greed, there's... All kinds of nastiness in this world. And, and we're part and parcel of it. That's who we are. And that as a result of that, the Bible says, all of us have sinned. We, like sheep, have gone astray, Isaiah says in Isaiah 53, 6. That we deserve God's judgment, his wrath, because of our sin, because he's holy and righteous. The wage of sin is death, separation from That's the ultimate effect of the curse, right? Is separation from God and death. And that's who we are. We have gone astray. But that Christ who came as a babe in a manger went to the cross and died for us in our place. I read a story or heard it, uh, it's been a while ago, but uh, about a guy who was a soldier in Iraq, uh, or Afghanistan maybe. Uh, and he, he and his, his buddies were sweeping a building or something, and uh, somebody threw a grenade into the middle of them. And what did he do? He jumped on the grenade. He died and every one of his buddies was saved. He died for them. When Christ came and died on the cross, he died for us. So that his death would be our death. And he could only do that as a human being. He could only do that because he didn't die for himself. He died for us if he was God. He died for us, and we must understand and accept this. The trajectory of Christmas, this babe in a manger, you look at the manger scene up here, the trajectory is through the cross of Christ on to his coming reign as king. He didn't just come as a babe in a manger, he did. And he died on a cross to save us. He's reigning with God in heaven now, but he's coming again. And all that he did through his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension, he did to deliver us from sin. From the consequence of sin, which is death. From the penalty of sin, which is death. The power of sin so that those who trust in him can have life now and live in him. He did it for us. Christmas is about God's gift. His indescribable gift. Jesus, our Savior, who came, now get this, so that we might sample presently the glorious life that we will savor eternally if we're trusting in him. What do I mean by sample presently? What I mean by that is that if we're trusting in Christ, our sins are forgiven and the Spirit of God dwells within us so that we can live now in a transformed state And that the fruit of the Spirit, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control can flow from us and through us to other people so that we are a sanctifying influence. We are a sweet savor and aroma in the world which is rotten and stench-filled. Not to say that arrogantly for us. But see, we can have power over sin in our life so that sin doesn't have to rule us in our relationships, our relationships with other people. We can be different people for the glory of God. But that's not it. We can taste it now, sample it, but we're also going to savor it in eternity. What's that savoring? The savoring of that glorious life is that all the curse that we are subject to now Will no longer be present among us. On Thursday, I attended my uncle's funeral, my dad's only brother. Yesterday, I got the phone call that Art had passed away. Reminders, vivid and strong reminders of our own human frailty. My cousin came to me and he says, Yeah, he says, it's hard. It was his dad. He said, it's going to happen to all of us. It's true. Death is not something to fear, as Cal Thomas says. It's something to prepare for. But it's also a reminder not only of our frailty, but of our victory. But of the victory that is possible over disease, over disappointment over our disobedience, over death that comes only through faith in Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus came, to give us victory over sin. It's not just some euphoric thing that we just kind of throw around, but it's a tangible thing. It gives me victory over the penalty of sin, which is death, which I look and long for the time when we can be with God in heaven. But now that we can live victoriously over the power of sin in our life, and ultimately, that we'll gain glory with God in heaven. And when Jesus comes back and he establishes his rule, guess what? We'll be far better off if we're trusting in Christ. But if we're not, it's, it's not good. And we must trust by faith, active faith. My, my dad has a four-wheeler path on his farm, and we've been out there several times. And a few years ago, we took an old door-you know, a barn door, you know, a wood door-and we threw it across a creek. And so we drive our four-wheelers over there, and every time I go there, I go, well, I don't know about this, and I just gun it, you know, and shoot across that, that creek. Well, whenever you drive across that door, you're exercising faith, or stupidity, but I think it's faith. Uh, probably now it would be stupid. But it, it's active faith. That's what it is to trust Christ. It's not just in my head, but in my heart. I'm stepping out and absolutely putting my trust in what Christ did, in dying in my place. It's a personal thing. It's not an abject, you know, distant thing. It's I'm trusting in Christ as my Savior and Lord. Or you can reject him. And I just ask you this morning, which is it for you? And maybe you don't know. Maybe you're kind of waffling on the edge. I understand that. But I want to invite you to celebrate the birth of the king at Christmas. And you may be here and you're skeptical or you're not sure, you don't know. Let me just throw a few things out for you. Think about the historical and the prophetic complexities that find their solution in the person of Jesus Christ. The historical and prophetic complexities that come together, and it's not accidental, In the person of Jesus Christ. Then the content of Jesus' birth shows his faithfulness to his Old Testament promises to save his people from their sins. They thought they were going to be delivered from the Romans. He had a bigger plan. Delivered from their rebellion. Then the consequences of Jesus' birth. I love it in John chapter 10, verse 37. He says, if I don't do the works of my father, then don't believe in me. Think about that. You say, well, yeah, you can talk about Jesus and birth and being Jesus' as man and be a God, but okay, test him by his life. If he doesn't do the works of his Father, then don't believe in him. But then look at his words and his works, they confirm that he is the Son of God, the Savior of the world. He deserves our glory, but he receives our infamy. You know, this last week, an associate Supreme Court judge had the audacity to say to some people at an audience, Merry Christmas. Oh, bad, bad, bad. You know, by the PC police. That's not a good thing, according to them. No, the world would rather live in its idolatry, and its, its blasphemy, and its sinfulness. But that's the world we live in, and we can be rescued from it. That's the glory of Christmas. It's not all what we want here. That's my uncle and art, you know, it's... Hard, you know, as one of my profs says, life is a difficult road and then you die. You know, this is not our best life. This is not our best life now. But by God's grace, he sent his son to die on a cross that we could experience the best life. That we can't ever experience now, but the best life that's coming is the best life. Okay, I hope you understand what I'm trying to say there, but. I just invite you to, to, to consider that. So my thing is, repent and receive Christ. You know the hymn we sing at Christmas where meek souls will receive him still? The dear Christ enters in. And if you're here this morning and, and you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then I just want to challenge you to take a, a few moments and, and repent and turn from our, our, our current presence and, and struggles and eyeballs on other things than on Jesus and just remember what Christ has done. God and sinners reconciled that we might be called the children of God and such we are. Paul says, such we are, children of God. And then rejoice. I think about this. and Jesus, who came as a babe in a manger, He lived a sinless life. He died on the cross of Calvary to pay the debt for our sins. Dying, He saved me. And He rose again so that we might too. Rising, He justified freely forever. And one day He's coming. Oh, glorious day. So that when we keep it all in perspective, in the midst of our chaos, in the midst of our confusion, in the midst of our corruption in this life, we can sing with the songwriter and say, Christ is Lord. Oh, praise his name forever. Christ is the Lord. Life doesn't seem like it sometimes, but he is. And as we take these elements, they're symbols of his sacrifice that made this new life possible for you and me. And if you're here this morning and you know Jesus, I invite you to join us in taking them. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your son, our savior, the Lord Jesus. And I thank you for the new life that he offers that is not just for now. It is for now. It is new life now but his new life that points us ahead. It's a new life that helps us in the present, and it's a new life that gives us hope for a better future. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.